Hello and welcome to our Africa Travel Week Connect Unlock Africa podcast, where we bring the news, views, tips and tricks from tourism experts and personalities, sometimes simply sharing a window on their world and Africa's tourism sector. This month, we are looking across the horizon and celebrating the beautiful wide open spaces Africa has to offer space travel of a different kind. We will be chatting to various experts in the industry who bring to life the crowd-free experiences post-pandemic travelers are looking for. Join us as we discuss stargazing and conservation of the night sky, ballooning over the Serengeti, the solitude of the Namib Desert, and an underwater wonderland in the Seychelles Marine Park. Today I'm chatting to Ashley Wilson, Director of Conservation at the International Dark Sky Association. We have been chatting this month about some of the magnificent open spaces that we have to offer in Africa. But let's not forget the wide open spaces of the sky and our incredible stargazing experiences. Ashley helps us understand the importance of conserving the night sky, which in turn protect the experiences we have to offer. Perfect. Thank you, Ashley, for joining us today, all the way from the USA. I feel so privileged. Um, we've been chatting to various experts within the industry about the beautiful spaces that we have here in Africa and how privileged we are to call this our home. And it really is the perfect post-pandemic destination. But what really um, is special is not only the location, but the incredible experiences that we can offer, like stargazing. So, um this is why we're speaking to you today, and we really want to understand a little bit more about our night sky and what you do. So maybe start by telling us a bit about how you managed to get into such an interesting line of work. Was it passion that drove you, or how did you get to where you are? Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's kind of one of those things where life just takes you on an adventure and you roll with it. I didn't anticipate being here, but I'm really glad that I found my way. I have always been enamored with the natural environment. I'm actually I'm from Tucson, Arizona, where IDA's headquarters is located. And uh, Tucson has this really special relationship with the night sky. Uh, we have the Stewart Observatory with the University of Arizona, and then we also have the Kitt Peak National Observatory. And that really kicked off this whole dark sky movement back in the 80s, where some astronomers noted that the light pollution from the town was impacting how uh, astronomers are able to view and observe the universe. So, so that's why they created uh, this organization. And uh, even, even, you know, as a, as a kid, I've always looked up to the stars, I've always been enamored with the ability to reflect on our place in the universe and have that connection and I wanted to give back and you know, be a part of the conservation movement and recognize the resources that we have, you know, recognize the incredible value of, of nature and our connection with it. And uh, I got my undergrad degree from the U of A um, in ecology and evolutionary biology, which is a bit different <laughs> than astronomy. <laughs> but um, that led me to actually get my master's degree a couple of years later in sensory ecology. And so that really looks at how organisms interact with their environment, with their senses, so specifically visual and audio cues. And then how do these cues and how they respond to their environment change when you put in anthropogenic or human-made causes? And so that's how we tie back into light pollution 
and it's a new field. It's really interesting. There's still so much we don't know. Light and noise pollution are growing at an unprecedented scale, especially with the rise of industrialization. So in the, in the broad context of evolution and how things change over time, there has been very little period, you know, period of time to even adjust to these disturbances. So it's really a question of how are things responding and what does that mean for the future, especially if we don't do anything to change the growth of these pollutants. Um, through all of that work, I've reconnected with the astronomy side of things, um, helping people connect with nature in that way, really appreciate quiet and dark skies and areas. I've also learned that people have this really rich connection with their heritage and their culture. We've had the connection with the night sky for millennia and we're losing that connection. It impacts our own uh, health and safety. Um, it's going back to the environment and not wasting light as a resource and how that contributes to uh, burning fossil fuels that we don't need. So there's, yeah, there's all these different aspects and I get really excited about being able to talk about all these different things and connect with people in their own ways and getting them involved into the dark sky movement. And then finally, of all the things that we're faced with today, I think light pollution is interesting. The fact that we have a clear, tangible and direct solution where everyone can make a difference with their lighting choices turning lights off that they don't need and using balanced lighting designs so we can keep our relationship with the night sky, but we can still use light where we work, live and play or put simply stars up, lights down. Yeah, I did see on your um, on your website that you had a very interesting thing called dark sky friendly lighting. I suppose that's exactly what you're speaking about. I have to be honest, when I started, when I was brought to the attention of your website, I was so fascinated because I really just never, I've, yeah, I never even knew there was a whole movement around what you're doing. And it's, it's so important. And the more I read, the more I realized that for our future generations to even continue to experience the night sky the way that we do, um, so important. And I guess historically, they say that um, the view of the stars changed over time. So um, yeah, you've, it's so important to conserve it. And yeah, continue to tell me a little bit more about dark sky and what, um, what, yeah, what are you, is it that you're doing in order to conserve it? Okay, yeah, not a problem. Uh, so our flagship program is the International Dark Sky Places. And as of today, we have 184 places in 21 countries around the world. And our we have five different types of designations that we offer, but each place really encompasses four main components. And so the first one is to monitor nighttime night sky quality. And that's to keep tabs on whether or not we're regulating light pollution or if it's growing over these protected areas. We also ask places to adopt a lighting policy or ordinance or some sort of resolution that states what is acceptable outdoor lighting. And then we also ask for places to then retrofit their lighting to be dark sky friendly. So kind of what you were touching on earlier. Um, Tying into that, we have another program called our Fixture Seal of Approval, or FSA, and we have over 300 dark sky friendly fixtures in this program. They are reviewed by a third party to ensure that they follow all of our lighting principles and they are dark sky friendly, so it's shielded. All the light is directed towards 
ground. They limit the amount of blue wavelength emissions, which have been proven to disrupt our circadian rhythm and disrupt the nocturnal environment. So it's going to be a fixture that emits 3000 Kelvin color correlated temperature or less. And they use the appropriate lumens, so you're not using too much of a light intensity, and that can create glare if it's not shielded. It can contribute to sky glow, which is the haze of light around communities. Um, so there's yeah, there's all. This. I guess that's what stops the that's what stops the cities from seeing the, the lights the yes. way that we do when we're out in the open. Okay. And then okay. um, our last component is outreach and education. So with really any effort, the most important tool that you're going to have is education and raising awareness. And that's really the biggest challenge that we face right now is most people don't realize light pollution is even a problem or how to recognize it and what the solutions are to help alleviate the, the growth and spread of excessive and wasteful light. So all of our places, either produce materials or they have programs or they have educators to specifically talk about all the different benefits of being dark sky friendly and why we really should conserve this natural, historic and precious resource. Yes, so so much going on and so many different things that I guess we can get involved in. How would somebody that, for example, owns a lodge out in the middle of Africa and wants to make sure that they're doing the best that they can to conserve that night sky for stargazing and that sort of thing, how would they find out what they can do? Is it all on your website? Can they just get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to go about that? I would say all of the above. We have plenty of resources on our website. So we have uh, lots of different pamphlets and examples of what dark sky friendly looks like. As I mentioned, we have the fixture seal of approval database. So you can go directly into that and find dark sky friendly lighting for you to purchase and install. Um, we have uh, videos, we have brochures that we can mail and send out if you want to help spread awareness in your area. If you were interested in uh, applying to be a dark sky place, you would contact me. Um, we also have an inquiry form. Um, to go into that, we have conservation-based places, and then we have built-in environment places. So the conservation-based places are uh, areas that recognize that they have night sky as a resource. You can see in the Milky Way with, with the unaided eye, and you have the ability to take protections toward it. So that's going to be your parks, sanctuaries, and reserves. And then the built-in environment is for places that aren't necessarily dark skies, but they absolutely still participate in the dark sky movement. So that's going to be your communities. And our newest type is the urban night sky place designation. Okay, stunning. And, and tell me, are there any particular places in Africa that you can speak to me about that currently work with you and what they're doing? We currently have two certified places. Uh, first, we have one in Namibia. This is the Namibrand Nature Reserve. It's uh, one of Africa's largest private nature reserves. And then we also have the Ahe Kalari Heritage Park. Uh, that's a sanctuary. And that's on the boundary between South Africa and Botswana. And then are both of those places um, choosing just from a lighting perspective of what they're doing um, in that space. Okay. Absolutely. Stunning. So it's not, um, it's not limited to not being in Africa. I know you said that it's worldwide and I think that's so wonderful that we can get involved. Stunning. Yeah, and absolutely. Perfect. And from a, from a, um, 
from a tourism um, industry point of view, do you work with um, anyone that's sort of in that space and, and is all about those kinds of experiences? And is there anything you could kind of give us as sort of tips going forward from, from that industry point of view? Yeah, um, astrotourism is absolutely a budding industry. It's sustainable. You can bring people out to these protected areas and you don't leave an impact on the environment. Um, you can bring people out and during the off season to interact with the night sky. It's really a benefit for uh, local gateway communities as well, because if you're staying up late at night to look at the stars, you're most likely going to stay overnight. So that's accommodations, that's uh, food and lodging. So it's an increase in revenue and a boost in economy as well. So it's really a win-win situation. Uh, we really don't have very many places in the Southern Hemisphere either. And that night sky is completely different than the Northern Hemisphere. So it's different constellations. It's a whole other experience. So I would love to see more places uh, get the recognition and bringing in more people to have that new experience and to experience that culture and that heritage in a whole new way than they've ever thought about it before. Some of our dark sky places are actually uh, nominated by tourist industries. They recognize the value. They have the ability to do all the protection and they ha already have the ability to do the outreach and the events. They have um, trains individuals who can speak about dark sky efforts. And so it's just like an additional benefit to what they're already doing to conserve the natural environment, especially if it's wildlife friendly, if you already have tours, why not extend it and talk about the dark sky if you're already there? So all I see is just a win-win scenario for that. Stunning. And can you tell me, are there any like sort of trends that you're seeing um, within that space and moving forward and what do what do those look like? That's a great question. Uh, as we continue to build more places, we're starting to get more reports on what are the actual trends on economic turnout. Uh, all we're seeing is is revenue increases. So the state of Utah in the U.S., for example, is kind of a leader in that. Um, I don't have specific numbers, but they are absolutely seeing trends in, in visitation. They're seeing their local communities get boost in economy. Um, and you know, it's just this positive feedback loop. More people come, they talk about it more. We're seeing all of these uh, social media posts and blogs that are now including dark sky tourism places. Here are the top five places that you should go to. These are the different experiences that you can expect. It's family friendly. Um, it's 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 something different that you wouldn't see or even experience if you typically live and work in a city. It's it's yeah, uh, yeah it's unique. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's unique. And then, can you measure light pollution and how do you do that? Okay. Um, Okay, so I have a okay. success story for you. Um, there are, are metrics in light pollution in a couple of different ways. Um, the, the easiest one that we educate people on using is the Zenith night sky quality. And that's the amount of light pollution that can be measured at like the top of the globe, right? So it's a sphere. So if you think about like the top of that ball, and that's where you see the Milky Way. So we have what's called a sky quality meter or SQM. 
and it has a little cone of view that basically just measures the amount of photons that are uh, directly above you. And so that's in, in like sky quality meters are very easy. To, uh, they're low cost, so it's accessible to a lot of different people. Um, that's one way to measure it. There are different apps on your phone. Uh, Globe at Night, for example, is a really awesome community science program that anyone can participate in. So they have depictions of uh, different values of night sky based on, you know, how many stars can you see? Can you see this constellation? And they do it once a month that pairs with the new moon because that's going to be your best opportunity for seeing the stars. And it's not geared just for dark places. Like if you do it in your town or your community, that also gives us an indication of where light is. Um, there are different ways as well. You can measure light from the ground. So if it's reflective and, and really kind of like relating to how much light uh, should be used instead of just like, here's an arbitrary number. We need excessive light um, for security. That's kind of a misnomer. It's really balancing the amount of light for it that you can need to see in an environment and, and be safe. So going back to your your story of a of, for a success, the city of Tucson retrofitted its streetlights a couple of years ago. They retrofitted I think around eighteen thousand streetlights, and they used the different principles that we talked about: so lowering blue wavelength emissions. They use dimmers. Um, so it, yeah, it's just a it's a combination of all these things targeting the light on the ground, and they are able to show that they reduced sky glow wow, by eight so percent. Really, you can actually measure so imagine, it to see the the success. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So as and, and as we get more case studies that utilize um, these large scale projects, hopefully we'll get more data that you can actually measure a decrease in light pollution and that using these principles that really are worth the time and money and to invest in. why does that matter for future generations? Why is it important? Oh, so many reasons. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, that's, that's my favorite question. Uh, I mean, like, we know the statistics right now, right? Like, we're over 80% of the world lives in light-polluted skies, and over a third of the world's population have never even seen the Milky Way. So not only are you losing that culture and heritage, like seeing the Milky Way with your own eyes has this immense sense of awe and you can't replicate it. And we see astrophotography and we see these amazing photos, but it's not the same as literally being in that space and having that connection for yourself. It's indescribable. People don't have that. And like I said before, we've had that experience for generations and now it's something that we take for granted or don't even know that we're losing it. So future generations, they're not going to speak up for it if they don't know that's something that they're losing. It's contributing to environmental change. If we're just wasting and burning all the energy to use light, even at when people aren't awake at night, um, some lights are even on during the day when they don't even need to be used. So that's accelerating carbon dioxide emissions. It's driving away natural wildlife. Um, they have to go further and further into dark and quiet areas. So that's limiting their reach and their growth, and that can impact their overall being. change the whole environment. Uh, same thing. The natural environment. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Crazy. Sure. 
And where's the best place you've ever seen the Milky Way then? <laughs> uh, I mean, I... I need, need to come more. to Africa so you can tell <laughs> us so that we're doing it okay. <laughs> I do. I do. Oh, I already know you are, but um, I take, I'll take the <laughs> opportunity any day. Um, to, to answer your question, so I did an internship with Voyagers National Park, which is on the boundary between Minnesota and Canada. That's so pretty far north. And because it is so remote and there's very few people living out there, they are pretty secluded from sources of light pollution. And I was out there for a summer living in this little cabin as smaller than a studio apartment. And you would just open your door and the universe would just be <laughs> in its grand splendor wow. above you. And it's just, it would just be there every night. And there's just like immediate stars and it's so colorful and grand. And it was just wow. right there just for me. And it was just like this wonderful experience that I got to have every single night. And it was so Van precious and wonderful. Right on your doorstep, on your doorstep. Right? <laughs> yeah. Stunning. Jim, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Was there anything that you would like as a message to sort of put out to the listeners? Um, yeah. Give us a message. We want more inclusion. We want more diverse communities. We want to continue to spread the word, not only for sustainable tourism, but to let people know that this is something that is their heritage. They are entitled to the dark skies. They, you know, really should have that balance between effective outdoor lighting and being able to appreciate the nocturnal environment. So if you are aware of a place that has dark skies. If you want to get them on board, please reach out to us. I would love to see more places. Let's give more recognition to the efforts that are going on all throughout Africa. I would love to see it. I'd love to hear from you. Let's keep this Great. conversation well, thank going. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you taking your time on a very busy schedule. And yeah, I hope pleasure. that um, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch, then they know where to go. Thanks so much, Ashley. Well, thank you. Lights down, stars up, as Ashley says. Conservation comes in many forms. And if we want future generations to experience the views we have today, we need to consider what we can do now. There is a lot of useful information on the darksky.net website. And if you'd like to know what else you can do to get involved, don't hesitate to get in touch. We have placed all the contact information on our website. Africa has so much to offer, from vast plains to stargazing, and really offers the perfect open space destination. Thank you for listening to this Unlock Africa podcast. <laughs>